Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. At Greenlight Guru, the biggest thing we care about is the biggest thing you care about, improving the quality of life with medical devices built with less risk. We know we're not physically there helping you to build devices, but our software is. So why wouldn't we build our software to be aligned with industry standards like ISO 1345 or 14971? We're the only medical device QMS solution provider to be named by G2 as a category leader for 13 quarters in a row. Because it's an odd number, I can't do the math and tell you how many years, but what does that mean? It means medical device companies who are out there making a difference believe we're making a difference and they're telling people about it. If you're looking to make a difference by getting quality, life-saving devices to market on an average three times faster, contact Greenlight Guru today to start the conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking to Omar Khatib from Khatib & Co. The title of today's episode is The Death of Medical Sales. So we talked to Omar. We get into the weeds. So if you wait till the last third of the episode, he really starts getting into specific tactics on what companies can take um, as they're developing their sales process. But what he talks about is the industry is behind on adopting and adapting on how uh, hospitals and physicians buy. He talks about the sales strategies that are out of date and the driving increased costs with diminishing returns. He talks about some of the new data that shows where you can find those prospective buyers for your medical device products. So this is an interesting episode. It's a little bit different than maybe what we've done in the past, but he gives some very actionable insights. So definitely encourage you to stick around to the end. And thank you for listening. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Omar, it's good to be with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Etienne. It's it's pleasure to pleasure to see you. Pleasure to be on the show. All right. Well, you sent over a when you when we were talking about doing an episode, you sent over a title called "The Death of Medical Device Sales." I wondered if you could maybe use that as our introduction. You you tell me uh, what does that mean to you? Really, it is the death of the old way. So, just you know, for for context for your for your audience, you know, you know, my background was I'm a former medical student. So 10 years ago, I was in medical school in Texas, realized I wanted to go into technology. And I dropped out. Fortunately, I was on a full scholarship, so I didn't have any debt. And I started off carrying the bag. I was in sales, started in surgical robotics at uh, Mazor Robotics, which is a robotic spine surgery company. And after uh, some time in sales, I moved into marketing. And you know, as they say, I, uh, that's the rest is history. So since then, I worked at uh, Petrero Medical, Restoration Robotics, essentially uh, companies with very expensive first-of-its-kind technology, ranging from robotics to SaaS to predictive health and AI, and taking it to new markets, right? And so along the way, I paid close attention to what other industries were doing and how the world was changing, specifically the use of digital marketing, social media, and how the, the buyer's journey for everybody, not just doctors, has become more sophisticated. Even the way you and I decide to buy soap right? We don't yeah. just go to our grocery market and buy it. A lot of times, if it's done the right way, we might look at some reviews online, maybe read something about it. Maybe there's somebody who we follow who uses a certain type of soap and that influences our buying decisions, right? And so to kind of circle back to your question, the death of medical sales, uh, since 2015, I've been a strong advocate in a very provocative way about we should be selling and marketing to physicians and hospitals using social media. And everyone agrees with that, especially, I mean, you can't deny it anymore, but our industry has been very slow to change. 
And I would say, I don't know if it's because out of pure ignorance and stupidity or laziness or both, maybe not enough fear of the future, but the pandemic happened in 2020. And I said, hey, finally, I was like, this is going to be the thing that makes some change because now everybody sees, oh my God, like we can't go to the hospital. We're screwed. We can't hit quota. We can't sell. We can't market, right? So I was like, that's the thing. And I remember a few months into the pandemic, nobody really changed. They were still doing their old outdated ways. And so that inspired me in 2020 to write this article called The Death of Medical Sales. And in it, I describe how the old way, which is showing up with no permission, interrupting people during their work hours, and just trying to leverage and force your way into a meeting to just show up and throw up your product is done, right? And you know that got a lot of attention and some organizations actually took that to heart and changed. SI Bone, which is, you might know them, they're a large publicly traded spinal technology company. Their president, Tony Recupero, uh, spoke with me f- uh, a few months ago and told me that when he read the article, he's like, you know what, I, I thought it was a little crazy, but when we read it, you were right. All those things are true. And that actually inspired him and his organization to hire a VP of digital marketing out of the consumer world, right? And so uh, fast forward to today, and this is, you know, sorry for the long-winded intro, but I felt like this is necessary background. You know, a lot of these companies have not changed. And my heart goes out to all the salespeople because while I'm very hard on salespeople, their quota, quota went up for everybody, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20%, 30% increase in quota. Those are very aggressive goals. None of these companies have spent a dime saying, hey, you know what? We're going to train you on a new way to sell. We're going to teach you how how to be persuasive through emails. How do you use social media like LinkedIn? Because that's where our customers are having conversations. Yeah, right? How do you leverage that to grow pipeline? They haven't done any of these things yet. They've expected more from their sales teams and they've laid people off. If you look in the pharma world, this is happening in our industry too. Pfizer, who made 80 billion last year, Reuters came out with an article, Pfizer laid off a significant portion of their sales team. They didn't mention how many, but probably definitely closer to the thousands. And the reason they cited was that their customers want more digital first engagement and laid off 500 people, 500 salespeople for the same reasons, right? And they're not even bothering training people. So that's why I wrote that article and I actually rewrote it and updated it for 2022 with more data to say, hey, don't take my word for it. Look at this data. You cannot deny the data of how many physicians are spending time online, how many of them are preferring that kind of engagement. And so that's kind of that was kind of like a, a big foundational piece to my work and what I believe and the things that I'm trying to accomplish. So the old way, and as, kind of as you mentioned, just showing up, doing their thing, trying to get those conversations in person versus the new way with uh, social media marketing and all the other different aspects that you mentioned, what are these more specific things that people can be doing though to leverage this new way? And maybe maybe you can describe a little bit about what you mean by a new way. Yeah, absolutely. So let's look at costs. It costs a lot to have a sales team. They're very expensive people, right? And so the old way, let's look at it from the point of view of a startup. Just for context, I'll share the link, but that you're, there's a talk that I, I was part of that's about upending the sales model at the Life Science Intelligence uh, emerging medtech summits, our industry's most prestigious investor summit. Greenlight Guru is a big sponsor there. You guys put yeah. on a great show. You, you sponsored a great happy hour, which I, I love. I always love interacting with your team. 
But the old way is, you know, you raise a bunch of money and you hire 20 salespeople who have some experience and some network in the industry and they go hit the pavement and sell. Well, the problem is what happens when you don't have hospital access, right? Yeah. Right. And, and a lot of these physicians already, keep in mind, uh, what salespeople don't realize is that if you're a doctor, it's not just the med tech medical device salesperson who's showing up unannounced. There are biotech, there's people selling accounting services, legal services. The average doctor's office gets anywhere from 17 to 20 salespeople a day. Oh, wow. And they may not yeah. even be the right person to talk to. I mean, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So imagine you're trying to do your work and that happens. So you can be the greatest salesperson you know, on planet Earth. You can be this amazing trusted clinical advisor, right? With all this knowledge, you can, you can genuinely help a, a surgeon, let's say with their, with their clinic, with their uh, procedures. They're not going to listen to you because you're, you're, you're being grouped with all these other spammy, annoying, cringy salespeople from all these other industries versus let's talk about the new way. As of today, and this is, I, I collect, so my company, Kativ & Co., um, we focus on helping med tech companies grow sales and drive product adoption using social media. Um, as of today, here's some data. Let's look at orthopedic surgeons. Orthopedic surgeons last month on LinkedIn, this is, this, you can pull this data, it's, rather, it's publicly available on LinkedIn. Last month, in the United States, there are 22,000 practicing orthopedic surgeons, according to Definitive Healthcare. Of those 22,000, if you look on LinkedIn, there's around 16 to 17,000 with profiles on LinkedIn. It's a good amount. I think yeah. it's actually higher because not everybody says orthopedic surgeon in their headline, but let's just go with that number. Of those uh, 16,000, last month, 2,000 of them in the United States posted something in the last 30 days on LinkedIn, meaning that they didn't reshare something. They literally created their own post, okay? 30 days later, 2,500 orthopedic surgeons have posted in the last 30 days, meaning that an extra 500 surgeons, that's a 25% increase, are now posted. And that's not counting the number of surgeons who are actively liking, commenting, and resharing. So why am I sharing all this? You, you mentioned the new way. Rather than going to the clinic or showing up the hospital and trying to you know, interrupt a surgery or find a way to just slip in like a little like clinical knowledge, something to impress a surgeon, Go on LinkedIn where they are having deep clinical conversations. Like they're literally posting their cases or posting a picture like, hey, I just did my first case using this implant or this robotic system, right? Or this approach. And you'll see these posts. There's like 20, 30, 40 comments, very deep conversations. All physicians, how many salespeople are commenting? Zero. This is free. This is the free money on the table. Yeah. You know, if you want to impress a surgeon where they're like, yeah, actually, I want to talk to this person. There it is. There's that opportunity. And what people don't realize is that forget about medical devices for any sales call. When, when you book time with, a, with somebody to meet with you, the reason for meeting is your technology, but that's not the reason they decided to meet with you. Early on, the real reason is that you've done enough to show that you're worth meeting with. So as a salesperson, how do you provide that value ahead of time? So you develop that trust, you develop a little authority, right? A little persuasion so that they say, yeah, you know what? I recognize this lady, uh, Jessica Smith. Like, you know, she engages me on LinkedIn or I've seen some of her posts or I've seen some of her engagement with other physicians. Like, yeah, I'll meet with her. 
right? That's, that makes- that's the new way. And that's the tip of the iceberg, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you, you know, you bring up a good point. This is worldwide. Every, when I have people who, you know, talk to me about, you know, looking for a new job or something like that. And I say, well, send me your LinkedIn. They don't even have a LinkedIn. It blows my mind. And uh, it's yeah. a similar situation. You mentioned that they're slow to adopt. The medical device industry has been slow to adopt this new way. And you mentioned a few, I, you know, thoughts about why that might be the case. Maybe, you know, lack of fear of the future, things like that. But, and I guess historically, the medical device industry, we are, we are a little bit slow to adopt certain changes because of the regulatory environment and so forth. But are there any, you know, real concrete reasons why, or is it, I mean, any thoughts yeah. as to why it might be the case? Yeah, it's because like most people, people are, are conditioned to for instant gratification these days. It never made sense to me that if you have a sales, you know, there's this thing in the software. I, I left med device and I went to software for it kind of like a like a retreat. So I can be like, how do other industries do? And I kind of came back to the industry like the prodigal son. <laughs> but you know, they say in software your ACV, your annual contract value. The higher it is, the more complicated the sale, the more that's involved, right? So if you sell something that's $2,000, you can do like little marketing tactics, you know, run some lead gen, get somebody on the phone, make somebody make a decision. That's fine. But when you're selling a deal that's in the millions of dollars and involves multiple parties, you have to have a very sophisticated approach to that. And so I think one of the reasons why our industry hasn't changed is because there hasn't been enough pain. The pain is starting now, but there hasn't been enough pain to change. They've been able to get away with just spending hundreds of thousand dollars on conferences and stuff, which I have no problem with conferences. I think that's part of the strategy, but it's it's hard to understand how a board or a CEO will scrutinize a $5,000 or $10,000, let's say social media campaign, even taking a video and saying, we're going to promote this. And they want to say like, well, what's the ROI of it, blah, blah, blah. But yet we don't put a, uh, we don't scrutinize the ROI of spending what, 50, $60,000 on a booth space or maybe $5,000 on these uh, hotel room key drop-offs, right? We, 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 don't, we yeah. don't scrutinize that. And on the other side with salespeople, you know, I know that not every salesperson, a lot of salespeople have tried, but they, their, their idea of trying is, I'm going to do this for a couple of weeks. And the moment they don't get that instant gratification, like, oh, it works, oh, I'm just going to go back to what I know, what I'm comfortable with, right? You know, that's the same reasons why, I mean, look, you know, if you were an alien and you came to, to planet Earth and, and I showed you, let's just say, you know, I was trying to teach you how to drive a car, right? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know, you got to start the car and everything. And then after two or three days, you're like, you know, you're like, no, oh, this is too much, too much trouble. You know, you, you've now missed the opportunity to take that car and drive to from one location, like let's say in the mountains to the beach, right? Or, or take people, you know, from one place to another, you know, you, you lose all the benefits of using this vehicle because you were just not patient enough to learn about it. And let's say again, let's say you've never driven a car. How much more difficult would it be if, let's say, I just give you a car and you're there trying to figure out like, okay, where this thing that's, I think it's a key, where does it go? <laughs> oh man. Going here? Can you imagine? That's what most people are doing on LinkedIn is that these social media, it looks like it's a fun, cute thing, but it, it's, they're very powerful channels for communication and influence, you know? Um, yeah, so it's, makes, I think it's a combination of those things. That makes Plus, sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, the last thing I would say on the regulatory side, um, regulatory is kind of part of it. Um, larger companies, they make it a lot harder. And so regulatory like doesn't want salespeople posting anything. But again, here's here's the thing is I tell salespeople in, in, in my program, and by the way, I'm going to provide a link for your, for your listeners to, to, to click on so they can learn more about it. 
you shouldn't be posting stuff about your product as a salesperson. Like you can post stuff like when you're surging, you say, that's for, perfectly fine. The real value is how do you create content and how do you get attention, right? So you can persuade somebody to meet with you. That has nothing to do with promoting your company. Let marketing do that. Yeah. So it's almost like building that thought leadership to a certain degree. Um, and exactly. maybe, you know, we talked about what, you know, the the old way and now some of the new way, some of the reasons why you might use the old way. But let, can you give a little bit more specific or I don't want you to necessarily give away the secret sauce, but in, oh, no, in, no. whatever you give away. I, yeah, I'll, I'll give all look, man. Let's I'll tell it. you something <laughs> on the sales and marketing side. I'm open. I'm open book for everything because my thing is you can watch 10,000 hours of Bruce Lee videos. That doesn't mean you're going to be Bruce Lee at the end of the day. So yeah, I'll give away. Yeah. So be more specific. What would you like me to share? Like, so let's imagine we have a company that, well, we'll stick with orthopedic, I suppose. So we have a, maybe a small company who's developing an orthopedic, um, maybe a knee replacement, and they want to get on this, this way of, of marketing. And uh, what would you recommend early on? You know, maybe they have a sales team, maybe they don't. Um, how would they build that out? How would they start that marketing campaign? The first thing that you have to understand is what problem do you, and this might sound self-evident, but what problem do you solve? Okay. Who do you solve that for? And how are you solving it in a unique way? A lot of companies think they have this. They really don't. They're solving, you know, they they vomit features and better, oh, our product is this and that. Like, nope, that's not it either. Who do you do this for? It's like, well, we sell, you know, vasco-surgeons and then interventional radiologists and like too many people already. The, the one thing, the most valuable uh, thing I can tell people from a marketing standpoint is that it, it's a noisy world and people are going to forget a lot about you. You have one, one chance to, in, to insert a belief, a new belief in someone's head. And so that one belief, which you can say is a sentence, what is it? And if you look at a formula that breaks it down, it's there is a new opportunity to solve an old problem and satisfy an existing existing desire and relieve an existing pain. And it's only possible through this new mechanism. I'll give you a very perfect example. Let, let's, let's get creative here. Subway. Subway sandwiches, right? Here's, here's the belief that Subway came up with. Eating healthy fast food. That's the new opportunity. Think about that. Eating healthy fast food. That gets yeah. attention, right? Eating healthy fast food is the key to losing weight and staying very fit. There's the existing desire and there's the pain that wants to be relieved. I want to lose weight. I want to look good. Okay. And it's only possible through a diet of Subway sandwiches. Now, that's the vehicle. Very, very simple, right? So a lot of companies, they can't tell me that. And what I would, what I would say is that to take this a little bit further along with that belief, um, I, I tell this to marketers. If, if the company is not designing a new category or a truly new and different way of doing something, don't go work for the company. Just don't. It's, 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 it's a bad career move. And you know what that means is that, I mean, like, look, I mean, Greenlight grew is a great example of it, okay? Do you guys get compared to other uh, quality management systems? Yeah, of course you do. But you guys are very new and different. You can't directly compare what you guys do to, let's say, an arena. It's two completely different things. So instead of forcing a comparison, which in case your, your features and benefits, well, which one's better? Which one's cheaper? Which one's this and that? Which people will do no matter what. 
the end of the day, though, you're forcing a choice, which is you use this thing, which, yeah, it's really, you know, arena or whatever, really well known, all these things, but it's not designed for you. Or you use us where we have templatized all these things. We've designed this very specifically just for you to solve a very specific problem. Which one of these things you want to go with? Right. Yeah. That's that's how you position. That's how you market. So what I would say is like to a, to a startup company, figure that out. And that needs to be very clear and evident on not only your company page, but your CEO's page, your employee's page, because all those pages I just described, like your, let's say your CEO's LinkedIn profile, that's a website for, your, for what you guys are doing. And if you go and search your name, look, I have, uh, I've created multiple podcasts. I have two podcasts at the moment. I have you know, YouTube channels and everything. If you Google my name, the very first hit that comes up is my LinkedIn profile. Yep. I think that is the same for uh, for a lot of us at uh, Green Light. I mean, so you you mentioned kind of a, a formula there. What pain? What solution you're solving? You gave a good example. I love that. You also kind of mentioned who are you selling this to, and you already you said you know if I'm selling this to an orthopedic surgeon, it's already too broad. How specific do you need to get with that person that you're selling to? Yeah. It's a, so, and this this requires a lot of discipline. Even myself with what I do, I, I'm trying to get more. Uh, so I'll make this easy for your for your audience to remember. The riches are in the niches. <laughs> I always tell people that the riches are in the niches, and uh, I have to take this from uh, Alex Hermosi, who's an, who's a very famous internet entrepreneur. Which is when when his companies, his portfolio companies, aren't specific now, he always tells me like, "Don't make me niche slap you," you know. <laughs> oh man. So what I would say is, and I can I can really go down the rabbit hole on this, but you know, as you can tell, brevity is not my uh, forte. So I'm gonna, but I'm gonna try and be Thanks. concise. If you, if you think about, um, you know, crossing the chasm, the technology adoption curve, right? A, a little, I've heard of it. And I think I might've seen the graph, but let's talk about it. Yeah. So if you think about uh, uh, crossing, this is Jeffrey Moore's work. So if you think about a, just a regular bell curve, right? A parabolic yep. bell curve, right? Yep. You know, or for those who are listening who don't know what that is, um, you start at the ground floor, you start moving up and you the, that little line starts to go up like a hill. Then you see the hump of the hill and then it goes back down, right? Most companies, even if, if it's a huge company like Striker, when they create a new product, they're at the very beginning of that curve, which means there's not a huge market yet. There's, they don't have a, a bunch of customers. At that beginning, where you're dealing with not even early adopters, we're talking about the four early adopters, which is innovators and pioneers, which means somebody who looks at your technology while it's in its first generation, even though the baby's ugly and doesn't work really well, they can close their eyes and say, you know what, I see the future and I'm, I want to use this. These are the people that, you know, when the first iPhone came out, before the iPhone, people even used the iPhone, they were such such fanatical nerds about it. They lined up day one. Those are the Getting people you want, 3 right? a.m., yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... You need to be as specific as possible because your message needs to resonate with that person. And you can adapt your messaging as you go up the adoption curve years later, right? But at the very beginning, right, you have to be very specific. So for example, if you look at a robotic platform, right? Um, let's say you, you have a robotic platform, you sell to urologists, right? It's not enough to just say that, you know, it's a robotic platform for urologists. You have to say something specific such as, we are a robotic platform for urologists who do minimally invasive XYZ surgery out of the office. That is very, very specific. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to find that niche group of people 
Because if you can't satisfy that small group of people, what makes you think you can satisfy an entire market? That's a really good point. I don't think I've I've heard the niche conversation before, but I don't think I've heard that specific point before. That's a really good point. If you can't if you can't satisfy that one specific person, why do you think you can satisfy everyone? Uh, it's a great point. So okay, so we've got let's say we've got this foundation laid, and and um, I'm calling it the foundation. So you correct me where I'm wrong here, but of who great term and so forth. Now we've got this information. What do we use? What, what do we do as our, our imaginary orthopedic company? Now we've got this foundation laid. What are we going to use this information or how are we going to use this information? Great, great question. Great question. You use that information to guide everything you do from a marketing standpoint. So social media campaigns, you're at a conference, whatever. Um, this is like brainwashing people. So it's like when you go to church, there's a reason why all the verses are the same. Everybody says the same thing because you do not want your engineer, when someone, when let's say an investor comes through or a doctor or somebody to say like, oh yeah, like tell me about your company. And they're saying one thing, your salesperson is saying something else. So everybody has, everything has to be uniform. This has to, the same language has to be somehow designed and implemented, not only a company LinkedIn page, but on your, your employee pages. So when I was at Petrero Medical, uh, when I sat down with Joe Urban, we talked about what we wanted to do. He's like, we're going to help uh, physicians predict acute kidney injury before it happens through automation and predictive health. So all the employees, like we made sure to have on our profiles that, you know, where I work at Petro, it's like, you know, driving predictive health, right. Or helping, helping physicians predict, you know, so that way it's very clear what we stand for, even though the product can be used for many different things. Right now, outside of that, again, all this messaging, a lot of times, you, you know, Marketing is not about creativity. It's actually just about consistency because consistency and persistence, right? Um, you know, look, Coca-Cola, if you look it up on YouTube, it can be used for a lot of things. You can take, you can take like rust off of old things. You can, you can, there's many things you can make popsicles out of it, everything. Coca-Cola has one use, satisfying and quenching your thirst. And by the way, I do, I, I'm very anti-soda, um, but you have to be very specific as to what you do, Right. Because at the end of the day, let's look, let's look at my business, for example. I have an online program and, and coaching course for, for, for uh, sales teams, right? And then also I do strategy uh, and I help companies with like lead gen and webinars, et cetera. I tell people that I help med tech startups drive technology adoption and grow sales. If I stop there, here's the problem. Well, everybody does that. Right. And that's where you start getting into the comparison game. Like, well, how's he compared to this consultant? How's, how is his uh, firm compared to this group? But when I say I help medtech startups drive technology adoption and grow sales using social media, that's very specific. And I force people to make a choice. And do I lose business over that? You better believe I do. But that's business I'm worth losing because those other people are not the people I'm trying to serve. They, they require more convincing more selling, and this is this is something very important for the people who are listening that are CEOs and salespeople. When you get on a demo or call, even people at Greenlight Guru, you should never be getting on a sales call because on a sales call, you are selling something. You're trying to convince somebody. You're trying to do the song and dance, right? By the time somebody gets on a call, if you really are doing a good job of marketing, all those every call I get on from my company is a closing call, meaning that They've already been indoctrinated. They are convinced of this new path, right? Of using social media. To, the, to date, I have not 
lost a single deal because someone disagrees with the approach of using social media. Every person, whether it's a CEO, a salesperson, I've even had sales associates get on uh, calls to qualify for my program. The only reason they don't get on is because just at the moment, it's a little bit too expensive, right? But you know, you get what you pay for. That is it, right? Yeah. So every call you get on, it should be a closing call. You're getting on sale. Yeah, you get on a call and you're, you're trying to do the song and dance. Something's not working. That makes that makes sense. So some companies, I, I can see them maybe adopting this to a certain degree, maybe saying, hey, I'm going to go at it my own. But you use that analogy. What if you give a key to somebody who's never seen a car? Where do you stick that key? What are some of the pitfalls or maybe correlations you know, to that example that you see some companies getting into um, when they start trying to utilize a social media marketing approach? Oh yeah, yeah, and this is it's it's a you have a by the way I can tell that you've been doing this a lot. You ask great questions. <laughs> oh, well, thank um, you. This is applicable to both companies and individuals, and I'm I'm going to speak very carefully here, so I want your audience to listen to what I say. Um, the main pitfalls of trying to do it on your own is: will you be able to figure it out? Yeah, you probably will. We we you, you do it extremely well, probably not, but let's just assume that you do. In this life, you can always make money back. Always. You, you spend, let's say, let's say you spend um, uh, $20,000, you go to some training and you realize, you know, it was the wrong one. I should have I taken Omar's course. Okay, that was a shameless plug. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's just say you can always make money back. What you won't make back is the time. Because when you go down the route of, I'm going to figure this out on my own, you don't know how long that's going to take. The one, you know, I run a small business and the one thing that I learned is that, and I do, I overpay to get somebody to teach me their skills or teach me how to do things, right? I overpay because that's, that's the one trick in life that it's kind of like buying time. For me, I, I run an, uh, one of my online program. I was trying to figure something out. Again, I'm, I'm a marketer. I've been using social media and I said, I can either do this myself and I don't know how long it's going to take me to figure this out or when I'll figure this out, right? There's risks around that. Or I find somebody who is well vetted and I respect and, and at least have heard of, and I pay a premium. So I pay $10,000 to be in a specific program just for online courses. That's already, I mean, I, I recoup that money within two weeks because they pointed out some key things on my program. I said, oh my God, I had no idea. Who knows how long that would have taken me? That's the pitfall, man time, especially if you're a startup, the, the one, the dumbest, let me tell you the dumbest thing I hear from, from, from startups. And I, it's, I, I don't know, a lot of these people have raised money before. When you get money, when, when an investor writes you a check, including myself, like when I angel invest in a company, I'm not writing you a check to sit on the money and, and let it collect dust in the bank. You're, 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 to, you're to deploy that capital to accelerate traction. And so a lot of things I hear is like, Oh, you know, we want to, um, you know, we want to be careful where, you know, yeah, be careful where you spend your money. But again, if I audit these companies, I'm like, well, where are you spending this, you know, $5 million that you just got as a check? You know, and, and again, it, what doesn't make sense is that the actions I see and the words that I hear don't line up. You know, people have very aggressive goals. We want to make, we want to hit five, 10 million in revenue. You know, uh, uh, when we get our FDA clearances here, I'm like, great. What's your plan to hit that? Mm. crickets always yeah. 
Yeah, you, you you mentioned that you know spending money to get the time back. There's a phrase I heard once that um, really stuck with me. I think about it quite often, actually. Uh, why spend less when you can spend more? When you first think about that, you're like, that seems kind of dumb. But actually, the more you think about it, actually, if you can spend more and you can gain that time back, why would you spend less? It makes makes sense what you're saying. Um, Absolutely. And you know, so, something I want to add to this, and I experienced this myself, which is. Um, depending on what you sell, right? Especially for the, for those who are like consultants, um, consultants who uh, they have very very low fees, and essentially they're in the they're in the uh, um, they're in the uh, game of oh we're the cheapest solution. Don't ever work for a company like that either. Don't be the cheap solution. Um, a lot of times, people who have who struggle selling, they buy like they sell you know, all buyers are liars. When I go to buy a car, like me, I can afford a car. Now when I'm going to go buy a car, I'm going to lie and be like, you know, ah, that's a little out of my price range or like, oh, I can't do that. You know, we're, you know, we, all buyers are liars. But when you buy, like you sell, meaning that you, you, you try and like spend as low as, as little as possible to get like a subpar product. And then you're surprised by the subpar results. Those same people sell the same way because for them, the idea of getting someone to spend that much money or to do something like that is like subconsciously they feel like it, it like they don't believe that will happen. The reason why my my program is is priced the way it is, and again, it's it's an expensive program because it's focused on delivering results. The reason why I'm, I have no problem selling it is because I buy like I sell, and so I myself have purchased very expensive programs that hurt, they hurt me when I gave my credit card up. But the moment that I got in, you also get, you, you also get taken care of, you know, at a, at a much, much higher level. It's just, it's the same thing with getting a trainer. Like you can, you can go and get uh, a trainer who charges you, let's say $500, a thousand dollars a month, but they're going to train you. You're going to look, you're going to look amazing in six months and your life is going to change. Or you go to a uh, 24 hour fitness where it's like a $20 a month, uh, uh, membership. And then you get like the free, you know, like BS uh, training there. And then you wonder why, like, oh, it's been, I've been going to this thing for like a few months. I'm not getting results. And the, the that's, psychology, that's the, yeah, the thing. I don't mean to cut you off, sorry, but that the, the psychology is real. You know, if you, if you overpay for a gym membership, you better use that. At least that's in my mind. I'm like, man, I got to use this membership. I'm paying this much a month versus something that you could, eh, I could afford to lose that, whatever. Um, yeah, the psychology is real. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question. So, we laid the foundation as our company. We kind of talked about how to use that information. And then we talked about the pitfalls. Um, you mentioned earlier that you don't mind giving away the secret sauce. So I'm just going to just gonna ask for a little more detail. This company now, um, and you know what? Time out before I ask the question. You probably get some customers who tried it and failed. And I don't know which is better. What, what, uh, and, you know, you, a customer who just says, you know, what, I'm just going to use Omar versus somebody's like, I'm going to use Omar's techniques fall flat on my face and then come back. I don't know which one's better, but I'm sure some are more appreciative than others. Um, anyway, the question that I have though is, uh, if you have the, if you have that foundation, you've laid it. Now I, as a company, I want to go implement that. I'm going to go to LinkedIn. I don't know. Can you, can you walk through this specific company if, as if I was a, maybe a, um, a consulting call, what do I do next? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you, let's say you have all this buttoned up messaging, all this stuff, right? And you, you know, your salespeople have their profiles set in a certain way where literally it's, it's branding them as a trustworthy, reliable advisor, but you have things in there that are featuring like 
key points of your technology, right? What I would say next is the salesperson has to use LinkedIn. There's two ways to use social media. One is a communication channel and marketing channel. The second part, which a lot of people forget, is that you're, you're using it for intelligence gathering. So if you're a salesperson, you're trying to sell to a hospital, you use LinkedIn along with some other platforms, like let's say Twitter or, or you know, and you use Google. You have to figure out like, okay, I'm trying to sell to this physician. Okay, they're on LinkedIn. Well, who else is in their sphere of influence? Okay, well, that physician has some partners. There's three partners. Great. Uh, two out of three are on LinkedIn. Well, they also have some residents. Some of those people are on LinkedIn. So I need to connect to all those people. How do I make sure now that they see my content, right? Well, you go and engage with some of their posts. You go uh, like some of the posts that they, that they have, right? And there's ways to trigger the LinkedIn algorithm to make sure that some of your content is being seen by them, right? You also go and look at what posts that they like, right? So you might discover some new hashtags, you know, some procedures. What are they interested in? And then you start creating content that's going to influence them. That doesn't mean posting a garbage about your company. Who cares? How do you create content that's going to endear them to you? So every week, every day, what do you like and comment on, right? That's going to help that network see it, right? So that that includes if you go, if they post something from their from their hospital, right, or their their department, how do you go leave a thoughtful comment? Not only just to show that you're being, you know, show that should have your name pop up, but also engaging them, right? Here's a tactic. Let me give you a million dollar tactic. Okay, this is a, and I've I've personally landed, uh, I've put deals in the pipeline doing this. Um, you're trying to get the attention of a department. You can't, it's hard. So what I recommend is go to that department uh, uh, online, look them up, go to Google Scholar, type in the name of the chair, look up what they've published in the last year, okay? I guarantee you they're published something. Find a piece, uh, an, a publication that came out of their department, right? Take that publication, and I'm gonna make this even easier for salespeople. Go, you know, Google that publication, you'll see like different uh, posts about it, like different art, like maybe New England Journal of Medicine, maybe Elsevier, whatever. Go to the article, obviously read it, screenshot the page, just screenshot and reduce it down so that it's a square image and it's showing, let's say the New England Journal of Medicine logo and then the title of the article. Go to LinkedIn, post that image, and then you're going to write you're going to do three things. You're going to write a um, a uh, a scroll stopping hook, which means one sentence. Which is, you know, it could be something as simple as like, I've read a lot of uh, papers on um, on vascular surgery, but this is the, this is this is the best one I've read in the last year. That's a scroll stopping hook. Then you're going to hit enter, and you're going to create space. Then you're going to create a sentence that I call a curiosity generating promise. Curiosity generating promise, okay? So the curiosity generating promise can be something, something as simple as, here are three reasons why I love this paper, or here are the five takeaways that I got out of this paper. Then you're going to hit enter again, and then you're going to write whatever you want. You know, you write those things out because at that point, the, per, the, the you person who's read this or stopped to engage this already stopped. They've paid it. They've paid you. They've paid attention. Now they're paying you with their time. They're, you're indoctrinated. So now they're reading, Right. And you can just summarize the paper. You don't have to do anything special. Go to the discussion part, right, of the paper. You don't have to read the method and design. Go to the discussion, get the key takeaways. And if you're actually good at your job, you'll know how to add your own clinical takeaways because, I don't know, you're selling something to solve this problem. So you should know about the problem, right? At the bottom of the post, you're going to use three to 10 hashtags. 
let's say you use vascular surgery, vascular, you're going to go look at the profiles of the people you connected with on LinkedIn from this department and see what hashtags they're using, right? You're going to put those hashtags in the bottom. And then you're going to do this. You're going to say, thank you for, for, for publishing this. And you're going to put at every freaking person on that publication, every single person. And you're going to tag their hospital and you're going to hit publish. And you're going to sit back and wait. What's going to happen is that first, and you, I do the same, I recommend doing this on Twitter too. What's going to happen is that, especially on Twitter, the person who runs a social media uh, page for that hospital is just a social media manager. Nobody's talking about their hospital. When they see something like this, they say, oh my God, hey, somebody's, somebody's posting about us. Reshare that. Now, they're going to reshare it. Every single person who follows that hospital on, on social media, and I've done this with Johns Hopkins, while Cornell, Montfiore, and med tech companies argue with me like, oh, you can't do that. You have to get, I'm like, I don't have to get approval from the hospital to write something about them. They retweet that. They reshare that. Thousands of people will be seeing that, including the, all the physicians that follow that account. Then on LinkedIn, what's going to likely happen is that people are going to like that. It's very likely that the people who you tagged are going to like it. To take it further, since you're connected to some of them, I would copy the link to the post, message it to, to each one of those people and say, hey, Dr. So-and-so, hope you're doing well. I hope you don't mind, but I, I, I wrote something about your, your, your recent publication. Um, here it is. If you can, uh, would love if you can leave a comment because I would love the physicians who follow me to hear from you. Okay? So now you're increasing the chances they see it because LinkedIn doesn't notify people very well. You better believe somebody writes something about you. They're, you're going to go read it, right? They're going to go look at it. Let's say they go look at it. They're going to leave a comment, even if it's just like, hey, thanks, you know, whatever it is. But the fact that you said, hey, I want you to comment, not for me, but because I want my, the, my physician followers. You might have five physician followers. They're imagining a bunch of people. They're going to go and put thought into what they comment. So they're going to engage with your content. And let's just say they don't. The mere fact that a physician who by title is physician on LinkedIn goes and looks at it, that, especially if you do it at, a, at the right time, like a time where maybe they have a break or maybe it's during the day, within the first hour, it's always called, it's the golden hour of the algorithm. That first hour you post is up, the algorithm is scoring it. If it starts seeing, hey, there's traffic coming to this post from physicians, you know what? Let's take this post that you know Bob put out. Let's put it in front of more physicians because LinkedIn's trying to figure out, well, this is good content. Bob knows his audience better than we do because it's Bob. Well, let's figure out how this content is good. Let's put this in front of more people, right? And then after a few days, you better believe that somebody from that hospital, somebody from that department went to the chair. If this didn't happen one time, it's going to happen multiple times. Said, hey, did you see what somebody posted on LinkedIn about us? And then in five days, when you send a message and an email to that chair and say, hey, you know, I wanted to introduce myself. My name's uh, Bob, Bob Ross. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I represent this company. Um, I don't mean to cold call you like this, but I'd love to just get on the phone and, and just get your advice and feedback. Um, I've read your publications. They're going to say like, yeah, I remember you, right? Is that going to happen every single time? Probably not. But you know what? You've done a damn good job differentiating yourself from every other schmuck salesperson who's just showing up and just show up and throw up, right? And let's just take, I want to take it one step further and I'll, I'll stop. As sure. you see, I'm, you, you know, I, I don't mind opening the playbook <laughs> for anybody, right? Because- 99.9% .9 of the people who listen to this are not going to even take action on anything I just said. But just to take it one step further, let's say Bob did all this and let's say it didn't amount to anything. Was it a waste of time? No. Because next time that Bob, let's say if Bob is good at, is any good at his job, he's going to get a meeting with somebody 
So Bob is meeting with another physician. Let's say Bob is at a conference. He meets with a physician. Bob gets a physician on the phone. Guess what he gets to say? He has to say, yeah, you know, um, he introduces himself, blah, blah. He's like, oh, by the way, Dr. So-so, I said, did you read this publication out of this hospital? It's really interesting. And now it's not about his technology because any salesperson would be like, oh, did you read our publication on how great our tech is? Nobody cares. But now when you talk to a physician, you're like, yeah, you know, I read this very interesting publication from this art, from this hospital about this procedure. And it could be com- completely unrelated to what you do. But the fact that you've shown tribal knowledge in the mind, subconsciously of that person you're talking to, you are now a peer, which makes you more authoritative, which makes you more persuasive, which makes it easier for you to move that meeting further, right? This is, you know, what, what I like to call like, you know, black belt level uh, psyops <laughs> selling, you know? It's, it's not a, I don't wanna call it a psy, but this is how you make selling. It's not selling anymore. Now you're, you, you're, you're having conversations that physicians actually enjoy. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, you hit you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the Bruce Lee of medical device marketing, I guess, is kind of like a mic drop. You know, I I started to use the word hack, and I don't like that word hack because it's kind of like you know you're using a tool in the way it shouldn't be. But this is a tool mm-hmm. um, that a lot of people, like you said, are just kind of totally neglecting. Um, well, thank you for opening the playbook. I think that no, no, you no, know, my that's pleasure. fantastic. Yeah, um, no, no. Well, we're kind of coming to the top of the hour, but any. Any additional thoughts? I mean, you really kind of left a lot out there. So that's, there's a lot to think about. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, for one, I'll, I'll provide some links for your audience to check out. Um, Great. I think they'll find very helpful. Um, I, I uh, do these uh, live webinars almost at, pretty much every week. I'm probably automating them soon. So, you know, your, your audience can follow me and get access to this content. The one thing I would tell them is this, is that, um, you know, if I were to recommend, like, of course, am I going to tell them, like, yeah, you should absolutely enroll in my program? Like, yes, because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, if this is the free stuff, you can imagine what the paid stuff comes, you know, comes right. With. But my my biggest thing is that your the quality of your life is going to be reflected in the quality of questions you ask yourself, always. And so, what I would say is that if you're a medical device salesperson and you're listening to this, ask yourself this. If quota went up and hospital access has gone away and it's becoming a noisier and noisier market, how much longer can I go doing what I've been doing? How well is it working? And even if you hit four out of four quarters, like some salespeople are like that. Um, I know I have a lot of people in my program who are like presence club winners. Why are they in the program? Because they realize that they've gotten lucky. You know, could be that they right market, right technology at the right time, but that's not going to last forever. So the question you have to ask yourself is, am I, am I going to waste more time and lose time doing the same thing, right? Or am, is it time that I, that I invest in my own career and do something new? Your company is not going to do this. Your company is not responsible as much as I believe they should be. They're not responsible for your own professional growth. And most salespeople listening to this embarrassingly, probably haven't even spent $10 on their own professional growth, like not even buying a book. And so um, what are you going to do now with, 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 with your time and where are you going to invest it? Because what you can't do is the same thing over and over again, because at the end of the day, you end up losing your job, your company has some changes and everything. You only have yourself to blame. And, and the thing that, what I would tell you, uh, the thing that makes me most uh, this, the thing that makes me most sad 
is the people who join my program. In my program, the, the price of it goes up uh, automatically every week and, and, and slow down a bit, but it's, it's increasing. It's increased, definitely increasing. The people who learned about my program, let's say back in January, who joined last week, for, for example, um, when I talk to them, it's not that they spent more money. The, the, it's the sound of their voice of the regret that they knew they should have gotten in at the time but they came up with some excuse like, oh, it was, it's too much or, or like not now or something. And they realized they wasted time that they're never going to get back and they're behind now. Yeah. That's, that's the worst thing. Yeah. You know? Time is the only thing you can't get back. Well, absolutely. That was absolutely. great. I appreciate it. Um, it's a little bit different episode than we usually have, but uh, I, think, I think this is really valuable for our listeners. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, for those of you who've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast, thank you for listening. And we will see you again next time. Thanks, everybody. The best medical device companies don't just follow the rules. They lead with quality. At Greenlight Guru, we try to do the same. Our medical device success platform is based on the latest FDA and ISO standards, as well as the best practices of medical device manufacturers who lead the industry with products of the highest quality. If you're ready to bring safer, better medical devices to market faster, contact greenlight.guru today.